come and uh, be part of uh, what God is doing in this uh, church. Um, I was supposed to come uh, yesterday, but um, my two o'clock flight was cancelled, moved to 7.15. It was delayed again to 8.45, to 9, then to 12 midnight, and eventually was cancelled. But thank God that I was able to get a flight this morning, and here I am. Um, We'll just uh, go on this and uh, ask God for his help. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for such an opportunity you give us on a daily basis. You love us so much that you bring us into your presence to bless us. And so, Father, as we share your word and fellowship with one another, we ask that your Holy Spirit will enable us and bring transformation into our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, We're going to be looking at uh, financial uh, prosperity and generosity. Uh, money is something that is uh, very, very important. And the Bible deals a lot with money, how to acquire it, how to retain it, how to use it. But before we delve into that, I want to make sure that we understand um, the, the basics of who should be addressed or who uh, will benefit more from this discussion. Uh, the whole story of the Bible is about God's love towards us. We know from the uh, Genesis uh, story, God made man, placed him in a heaven. No sin, no sickness, no stress, and gave man just simple instruction. You can do everything. You can eat, you can have fun, but this particular fruit do not eat it. We know the story, how Satan came and created curiosity within uh, Adam's wife. Did God say that you should not touch this, you should not eat? Don't you know that if you do, you'll become wiser? And out of curiosity, she ate and convinced her husband to do the same. That got us into where we are today. Sin came into humanity, and instead of Adam and Eve, that previously, when God came, they will have fellowship with God. Now God comes, and what happened? They started hiding because sin had been introduced into their lives. You know, God. When God said, don't do this particular thing, it was not because God didn't love them. Just like any loving parent. You know how it is when you tell your children, do not watch this uh, channel 
or don't do so and so it's for their good you want to prevent them from being exposed to evil whether it's on TV whether it's on the internet there's so much evil out there that as a parent you say no we don't want you to do this and unfortunately man didn't listen but that's not the end of the story thank God for the love that he has for us God came so have you done what I asked you not to do? And what did God do? God brought redemption. For them at that time, he made a covering. But that covering came from killing an animal. It was an animal skin that he made. And that introduced the, what is going to come in the future. That the shedding of blood, without that, there is no remission of sin. Right? So, God, in his infinite mercy, he brought Adam and Eve to himself. Instead of, their, their own reaction was to run away from God. That's what sin normally does. When we find ourselves in sinful positions, we tend to run away from God. But, you know, God does the opposite. God ran to them and brought them to himself. The reason I'm laying this background is so that we understand what should happen in our lives. So when we begin to talk of finances and the way we should use it, it will make more sense. So, from that, God went further. Because if you read the Old Testament, the children of Israel, continuously, they will come before God when they have sinned. And what will happen? They will bring sacrifices so that the blood of these animals will not take away their sins. The blood of these animals will cover their sins temporarily. But God had a better solution. And that is in Jesus Christ. So Jesus came and died once and for all. His blood did not cover. His blood did what? Wiped away the sins of the world. So that you and I today, if we accept that which Jesus has done, our sins are not covered. Our sins are what? Forgiven. We have a new page. We turn a new leaf. That's why the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed. All things have what? Become new. So, if we accept that which Jesus has done, he said, what will happen to us? He said, if we come to him, he will give us the power to become his sons. So, when we give our lives to Christ... We become transformed. But there is an expectation from God how we need to use this life. So, once we experience salvation, we need to begin to lead or live under lordship. So, it's not enough to say I'm born again Christian. You must live the life of a born again Christian. So, that's where lordship comes in. So I don't do things because that's what everybody's doing. No. It is 
that this is what God wants me to do. The Bible says that we should mortify the deeds of the flesh. We should live by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that there are, there are two laws that are in constant talk, uh, struggle in our lives. We have the law of the flesh that wants you to do the things that are not right. Then you have the law of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pulling you and telling you, this is what to do. But if you have not experienced what I talked about previously, turning away from sin, accepting Jesus into your life, the law of sin, the law of the flesh, is what you believe in. But you know what? When Jesus was going away, he told his disciples, he said, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. But there was a critical thing that they needed. He said, don't go until you are endued with power. Why was it necessary? Because the Christian cannot live, cannot continue to live in the state of being saved in the state of living a life that is constantly submitted by his own strength. So you and I, if we have submitted our lives to Christ, we must be endued with power. We must have the Holy Spirit in us because it is the Holy Spirit that gives the Christian the ability to live daily as he wants to live. Here is the huge difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. It is natural for the non-Christian to do things that are sinful because that's his nature. Because the law of sin is operating in his life. He is unable to do the things he knows he should do. So he habitually lives in sin. Does it make sense? The non-Christian lives in sin habitually. But the Christian has gone through the process of recognizing that he cannot save himself. He goes to God to ask for forgiveness and accepts what Jesus already did on the cross. And then he is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. These steps have to take place. The power of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis enables the Christian not to practice sin. Does it make sense? You're not Christian because you're coming to this church. You're not Christian because you're a member of this church. You're Christian because you have given your life to Christ. You have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then daily you practice righteousness. You know... When we read, read in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The fruits can only be in your life when you are in filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time uh, incidence. It is that daily we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize a little bit on, on, the, on the Holy Spirit because... Sometimes it's as if it's something of the New Testament. Maybe I'm going to, um, to just read uh, a few things from the Old Testament uh, 
so that we can see that people in the Old Testament, the power of the Holy Spirit enabled them to do the extraordinary. And that's why in the New Testament, when Jesus talked to his disciples, he said, this very important task I have given you, don't go out until you receive this power. Look at the life of Joshua. In Numbers chapter 27 verse 18, this is what he says. The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand upon him. And then in, in uh, Deuteronomy 34, 9, I'm, I'm sorry, I have the, the scriptures written in my notes, so I'm just going to be reading them if that's fine with you. So, Deuteronomy 24, uh, 34, 9, and Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Why? For Moses had laid his hand upon him, so the Israelites listened to him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. We know that when the, uh, before Moses died, he laid his hand on Joshua, and Joshua was such a great leader. The same with Moses. Moses was full of the Spirit of God. We see in uh, uh, Gideon. Gideon was a person that God had called, and he was looking down on himself. God called him a mighty man of valor. He said, me? How can that be me? Look at him. We are slaves to these people, and you are telling me I'm a mighty man of valor. But look at what happened to, to Gideon. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself and took possession of him, and he blew a trumpet, and the clan of Abiezer was gathered to him. Gideon was only able to do that which God has called him to do because he was filled with the Spirit of God. So, for us Christians, we should not just stop short and say, I am born again. I have Jesus in my heart. The Holy Spirit must indwell us on a daily basis. We must ask God, God, fill me with understanding. Because you cannot live, you can't accomplish you cannot do the purposes of God by self-will. It's impossible. How about David? Look at what he says in 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Saul took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. Look at what happens next. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. We know the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. And you can see the secret. David was full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, in the, in the, New, uh, in the New Testament, we have many examples. I have pointed out to the disciples that Jesus told to wait until they are endued. They were people who were uh, uh, timid. But when they received the power of the Holy Spirit, they became bold, very bold. And we can see that Peter, 
began to talk. He began to address them boldly. And the people were like, are these not men that are uneducated? How come that they are so bold and they talk so intelligently? So my brother, you that is here and listening over the internet, the power of the Holy Spirit is critical for the Christian. The Christian must daily ask God to fill him. When the Bible says that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord, why do you think the Bible says that? It is the Holy Spirit talking to you and say, this is the way. Walk in it. And then you hear it and you do exactly what he's asking you to do. Jesus, Acts chapter 10 verse 38, he said, how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power, how he went about doing good and in particular, curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus couldn't have done all that we, we uh, read without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I talked about uh, the disciples, Acts 2, 20, Acts 2, 4. And they were all filled or diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression. So, I gave this base, basic uh, summary of who will benefit more from this talk that you have experienced salvation you live under lordship you're not doing things because that's what everybody is doing you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so the law of the spirit is what you're operating in not the law of the flesh so that now when I begin to talk about to tight or to get into business because you, that's how you're feeling in your spirit, you will understand because you are living under lordship. It is not, you're not struggling because you've not experienced these steps. So, let's then dive into, I call it biblical prosperity. There's prosperity outside of being a Christian. There, it's not only Christians who are prosperous. If you look at Forbes magazine, the list of the billionaires, um, it will tell you, um, I guess, that majority of the people there may not be professing Christians. But what we're looking at today is within the concept of the Bible, how should the Christian view handle and use the financial prosperity God brings his way. You know, in the Bible, there are several mentions of money, how to use money, how not to use money, how not to put our trust in money. So money is a tool that can be used for great good or great evil, depending on how we use it. So, the first thing I want to 
say regarding financial prosperity is this, that God, for the Christian, you must have this at the back of your mind, that God is the one who gives the ability to make, to retain, and to increase wealth. God is the one who gives the ability to make, to retain, and to increase wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which is war unto thy fathers, as it is this day. It is he that gives thee the power to get wealth. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. So shall thy burns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. For the person who is not Christian, when you are looking for something, if I have a need for 20 naira, I am looking for another 20, and then you come to me and say, for me to achieve the 40 naira that I want now, I need to give to someone or to some course the 20 some of the 20 I already have, it's contrary to um, human senses. But that's God's principle of increase. He says, when we honor him, when we obey, when we give, what will happen? He said that our burns, now in the village, um, some of you uh, may have grown up in Africa. Uh, so when you sow like yam, at the end of the harvest season, you have a barn. So you harvest your yam, and you go and stack it up in the barn. So your barn is your storehouse, right? The Bible is saying that your storehouse will be filled with plenty. Not only your storehouse, wine is not a necessity, it is luxury. So it's not only that you will have the necessity that you need, but you would also enjoy some things that you really don't need but that luxury. He said, your wine presses will burst out with new wine. We will deal a little more on, uh, on these as we go forward. So you can see why I started with talking about lordship, talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, so that when we say things that don't make sense to the natural mind, you would understand that that is how it works within the concepts of the Christian. So how should I then be praying and asking God to prosper me? Should I or should I not? 
The first thing the Christian must do is find your purpose. Why did I say that? The first thing you must find out, the first thing the Christian must know is why has God placed me here? It's very critical for the Christian. God has created each and every one of us uniquely. With technology today, if I turn on my computer, I don't need to type my password. It does face recognition. We have artificial intelligence, right? And it continues to increase. So my face is so unique that there is no other person that has my face. My computer, if my wife comes, my computer is not going to turn on. But once I come on, my computer will turn on. How about my fingers? How about my voice? So when the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you are one in a kind. The entire world is filled with billions of people, yet you are very unique. And there's a reason why God did that. Do we, do each and every one of us listening to me today, do you understand why God has placed you here? Why did God give you the ability to go to university and study engineering or medicine or social science or whatever it is? Why did God give you the ability to love, uh, to sing or to play instrument or you're very skilled in math? Or you're very skilled in writing. Why did God bless you so differently from every other person? Because he has called you uniquely to do something. If we have not identified that, today I urge you please, find that. Because all the other things we are going to talk about today will depend will assume that you know your purpose. You know why God has placed you here. Let's look at somebody like Solomon. Solomon, Solomon's father David, we read, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he didn't remain the same person. He was a changed person. There is nobody that is filled with Holy Spirit that remains the same person. The same with, with Saul, who was looking for his father's lost sheep. And the Holy Spirit came upon him. He began to prophesy. And people were surprised. said, Saul? Is that not the Saul we know? He's also prophesying. So here is Solomon, the son of David. David had it in his heart to build uh, a temple for God and God said no you would not because you're a man of war it will be your son that will fulfill this desire that you have and so Solomon becomes the king and Solomon had an encounter with God that he was asked tell me what do you want for me to do for you and look at Solomon's prayer. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7 to 12, I will read it. 
Or maybe I'll ask somebody to read for us Second Chronicles 1, 7 to 12. So, can somebody read? Second Chronicles 1, 7 to 12. The NIV version says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge, and I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? 11. God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Thank you. So, here is Solomon. Solomon knew the call of God upon his life. God, you have made me to be king over your people. And I'm so incompetent, I can't accomplish this without your help. Therefore, God, can you give me wisdom? Can you give me understanding? So that I don't act in my capacity by myself. Help me, Lord, to accomplish why you have placed me here. And you know what? God responds. And God says, I am going to give you wisdom that you've asked for. I'm going to give you understanding. I, I also know that you need riches, you need wealth, you need honor, which you didn't ask for. I will give you those in abundance. So whenever any human being understands his purpose and begin to ask or ask God to help him accomplish that purpose wealth riches and all the things that he will need will be added to him so great example that Solomon has said for us that we need to be people who money is not an end to itself. Money is a tool. So when I'm asking God to prosper me, I am not asking God to prosper me for consumption. Do you understand that? I am not asking God to give me money so that I just buy a house, I just buy a car, 
I just buy a watch. I buy better clothes. That's money for consumption. No. I should be asking God to bless me so that I can accomplish that which I understand he has placed me here on earth for. Now, when God called Abraham, what did God tell him? God told him, he said, Abraham, I want you to step out of your comfort zone. I want you to leave your country and I'll take you somewhere. And this is what God told him. God said, Abraham, I am going to bless you. But he didn't stop there. If financial blessings and prosperity are an end itself, God will stop there. That will be the end. But that's not what we read. He said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. That's the essence. That's the reason why you're being, that you will be blessed. The prosperity we are talking about is not prosperity that is an end in itself. It is prosperity that is a means to accomplish that for which God has placed you here. For which you must be very successful in doing. Because there is a reckoning that is coming. Because God is going to hold us accountable for all these things he has given you. For this, for this great education he has given you. For this great exposure he has given you to live in America. For all the skills he has given you. There is an account that is going to come. When we read the story about the talent. The master had three stewards. He gave them according to their ability. That's why God has gifted, gifted us differently. He gave one five. He gave one two. He gave one one. Right? God expects what the business people call rate of return. ROI. Rest on, uh, return on investment, I mean. So the master comes and says, account for the abilities I have given you. The first one with five said, I took risk. I heard the Holy Spirit telling me, go to the left. And I went to the left. Sometimes he told me, go to the right. And I went to the right. And my five multiplied and I, I got 100% return. We are familiar with that scripture. The second one, the master did what? Recommended him. The master said, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. I want to get good return on my investment. The second had two and he came and he said, I took risk. I didn't fear that I would lose the two that you've given me. I used the talent you've given me and I got hundredfold return. The master also recommended him. The third didn't understand the concept of using 
the abilities that you've been given, using the money you have been given, the talents you have been given. He was afraid. He didn't want to take risk. He wants to just hold on to what he had. So he hid the one talent so that it will not diminish. And he returned it. He says, sir, here is the one you gave me and I gave it back to you. And what did the master do? The master rebuked him. That he didn't use what he has been given. So, the big question for us today is, the talents you've been given, the resources you currently have, what's the rate of return? Are we scared of taking risk? Are we just contented just where we are? So that should be our attitude towards money. Money, like I said, is a tool to an end. It's not an end in itself. So we must recognize these attitudes. There are good attitudes and there are bad attitudes towards money. Number one attitude that is good is that God is the one who gives wealth. It is not your hard work. See, as a businessman, I work very hard. I go to see clients. There are some clients that are very difficult to deal with that I don't want to see. But when I remember that I have that responsibility, I, go, I still go to see them. So I, you have to work very, very hard. You have to do all you need to do because that's your responsibility. However, the result does not come from that, even though you're working hard. It is God that gives, that causes your work to prosper. Deuteronomy 8, 17, 18 addresses that. I said, and beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and might and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which is what your fathers. We must work very diligently, but recognize that the result is going to come because God blesses your work. That's number one. So when you get wealth, when you, God gives you money, recognize that it is not because you're the smartest person. In my class, I, I studied engineering. When I look back, the, the guy who made the best, the best in, our, in our class way in Nigeria, he made a first class and was top of the class. When we left school, he couldn't get industry work. He ended up going to the military at that time. So, it's, you must do well. Don't confuse, you know, uh, being mediocre. No, we have to do excellently well the things that are functions. But we must recognize that God is the one who will make it good. The other 
uh, attitude we need to have is that we have to live under lordship and obedience because when we do that, God brings us uncanny favor. When the sun shines, does the sun shine only on the righteous people's uh, uh, things? It shines on everybody. So there is a general benefit for being a human being. The air is for everybody. But there are benefits that you get because you're Christian. Now, let me tell you uh, for myself, I'm going to be talking, I hope you don't mind, a little bit about some of my experiences. When I was going to go to Nigeria to open a business, I was very afraid because as a Christian, I didn't want to give bribe. So how can you go to Nigeria and don't give bribe and you're going to get contracts worth millions of dollars? So I was very, very afraid. How, how can I do this? But in my spirit, I was convinced that that's the right thing to do. Even though I was afraid, I took that step of faith. So in my confusion, I was going to Nigeria to, to try to do due diligence, find out, do market research and all that. But I, I worked for Halliburton, an American company, for many years before I left them. So, out of the blue, the managing director of Halliburton sends me an email. He said, Jeffrey, I heard that you're coming back to Nigeria to set up a uh, uh, business. Come back and Halliburton will help you. How can you explain that? The Christian, God directs uncanny favor to you that ordinarily you would not have. So, God, like I said, blesses hard work. When we do the things, whatever the Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do what? Do it well. Whatever it is, do it well. God does not bless laziness. Uh, Proverbs 10, 4 says, He becomes poor who walks with slack hand and idle hand, but the hand of the diligent does what? Makes rich. So, one of the things we must have in mind here is that I have a responsibility. There are things that God has put in my plate, in my domain to do. So, if I'm a physician and I am not, um, I'm not correct, I wouldn't be treating the patients with the right uh, uh, protocols. And the patients will recognize and they will not want to come to me. Right? If, if I'm a businessman and I'm not taking time to find out what the clients want or the value that I'm adding to them, they will go somewhere else. So that, that's my responsibility to do. For me to prosper as a person, my attitude must be that I will do the, the, the things that God has assigned to me and do them very, very well. 
I must walk in the spirit of excellence. Excellence. See, <laughs> when you go to Nigeria, I'm sorry, I'm going to be talking about Nigeria. They, when you ask somebody to do something, most of the time they're not going to do it well. So when you say what, you say organ manager. <laughs> organ manager. And I tell them, I say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm not going to manage it. You have to do it well. It's for your good and for my good. When you do it well, you establish a standard of performance. And when you have this standard of performance, it's going to help you. Any other person you're going to work for with this kind of standard, he will give you more work. So that's the same thing. We can't do manager in our lives. We have to work with diligence and excellence. When we do that, prosperity is going to come our way. The other thing is, what kind of attitude should we have when it's necessary for us to, to give? You know, the Bible talks about giving. In us, I'm going to talk about the wrong attitude towards giving. But the right attitude is when God lays it in my heart to give, I should give. And I should give how? Voluntarily. I should give without being compelled. You know, you, if you turn on TV, some people are going to tell you, uh, if you send me uh, $20 right now, you're going to get $1,000. And you give $20 and you be checking your mailbox to see when the 1000 comes. That's not the kind of giving we are talking about today. That's not scriptural giving. We should be people who give out of this is what is laid in my heart and I am given out of love. Look at what the scripture says in uh, Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Give and gifts will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you made, without it shall be measured to you again. And Second. Uh, Corinthians 9, 6 says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's the way we should give. That, that you decided this is what you want to give. There are times that you may want to give uh, some money. Maybe you've decided you want to give $10, $10 and the pastor comes and talks 
And the Spirit of God may urge you to give more than that. Yes, we should respond. It's that you, you are convinced, not that you are compelled. Right? So, all I've been saying, money, talents, uh, good experiences you've had, bad experiences, they are all giftings from God. It's important that we channel them, that our lives should be about using them to do those things that God has called you to do. So, the money that you have and the one that is coming, the promotions, the influence, the access, all of them should be used to fulfill that which God has called you to do. So, it means then that all of us have a calling. You know, I'm sorry to say this, uh, <laughs> they, sometimes they ask me, so, do you have call? They are expecting me to say, I am pastor in, in Redeem, or I'm pastor in one thing or the other. I say, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm called, I'm, I have a call, I have a calling. I say, oh, so where are you pastoring? I say, no, I'm a businessman. So, it's, <laughs> the concept here is we must be careful. The Christian does not distinguish between the sacred and the secular. So, I am going to my work, that's secular. It's, so, then I'm going to church, that's sacred. Right? So, you're a teacher, you're called. You're called to use that teaching ability to fulfill the purpose why God has placed you here. And you must treat it as sacred. Just like if I'm here as a pastor, that's my calling. So I'm taking it serious. I am praying and I'm uh, uh, studying so that when I stand here, I am speaking and the abilities God has given me by the Holy Spirit, I'm able to communicate. The same way as a teacher, a social worker, an engineer, a physician, whatever it is, we must treat them as callings that God is going to hold you accountable, just like those uh, talents we talked about. The master is going to say, give record of what you have done. So we need to treat these things very, very seriously. How about tithing? There is a good attitude we can have towards tithe. It is that God has given you the ability to make wealth. God has given you the access to, to people that ordinarily you wouldn't have had access to. God has opened doors for you. God has uh, given you ideas that you profited from. So at the end of the day, you come back and say, God, I can't thank you enough for all you have done for me. But this is a token. So you give your tithe. 
This is a token to recognize that my abilities have not brought me this far. You give offerings and you say, God, this is in recognition that all I have comes from you. So you see that tithes and offering will not be something you're struggling with. It's not, <laughs> it's not a business transaction, unfortunately. It is not, yes, the Bible says, bring the tithes and offerings so that they may meet in my house. Yes, there are responsibilities in the church. So the, the teaching of tithes and offerings should not be that, see, uh, it, once you give $100, be checking your mailbox because you're going to get uh, $1,000. And that's the way you're thinking that's the wrong way to think about it. It should be that God has given me these abilities. Therefore, I come with a heart of gratitude to say thank you for what you have done for me. That is how we should look at tithes and offerings. And they should be the minimum that we should give, actually. So, if I look at the money I made, I made... Uh, $50,000 last year, and I look through my, the, what I gave, if, only, if I gave only $5,000, that's the minimum I should give. It should be more than that, because we should extend ourselves more than what is being said about tithes and offerings. I'm going to come back to my experience with this. When the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive, it is really, really true. Now, when I, when I went to Nigeria, remember I said I am not interested in giving bribe, the whole society is corrupt, so I go to Nigeria. Of course, I set up my business, I didn't have all the money, but whatever I had, I, uh, I used. And I was determined that I'm not going to do the normal Nigerian business. You know? So uh, typically what they will do is they will show up and claim to have the equipment, but they don't have it. So when a client comes, they will lie and all that. Now. Since I don't want to lie and do like what they would generally do, I use my money, I bought equipment, I opened two offices, so that when you come, if I say this is what I have, I truly have it, right? So, I, um, in, my, in my village, we are doing some charity work. And, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you, um, you have friends and you meet them, you think everybody is like, like that. So I brag that um, my village, oh, we, are, we don't have very, very poor people and all that, without re realizing that really there are some very, very poor people. So we are doing some charity work. And one of it was 
to help widows um, augment their uh, capital. So if they're trading with $200, we may give them another 200 teach them little business skills so that they know how to attract customers. So we are doing this. And one of the widows uh, didn't even have any skill to trade. So the guy who was running this for us said, I think it would be good if we just pay her. So monthly we paid her 5,000 Naira for her feeding. So one of the days the guy called me and he said, this widow, one of the days I come to give her this money to be her dead body. I said, ah, why? He said the, the house that she lives in is collapsing. So I go to see this house and it's a mud house. And I didn't know in my village that people still lived in those kind of houses. So it was a mud house. So this guy says, I think we should build her a house. My American mindset is like, build somebody a house? Do you know what you're talking about? But the guy kept pressing. I said, okay. And myself and my wife, we kept sending money. And, uh, but in my mind, what can the little money we were sending do? So one of the days when we went to Nigeria, the guy said, don't you want to come and see the house that you were built, you've built? So we go to this house and I was shocked. The guy was very, very faithful. He had built, a, I think, a three-bedroom house with ceramic tiles, with what the Nigerians call long span, aluminum roof, with uh, Almaco windows. I could live in that house. Remember, at this time, I didn't have my business. I was still working in America. So the, the one that got me was the widow. She was not Christian. We were, we are using this as an evangelistic tool. So we do this whether you're Christian or not. It's just the need, you know? So let the Lord use it to touch your heart. So this lady, when we came to see her, she came out, she knelt down, she, bowed, she put her head on the ground. We're like, Madam, what are you doing? No, you shouldn't do that. She said, you guys don't know what you did. She said, I died. And you pulled me back from death. How can this house belong to me? You know, I literally wept. I wept for two things. That I have lived in this environment and I didn't realize this kind of need existed. And also, my attitude was wrong. I was sending money I was just sending money to build a house for a poor person, so I didn't care. I, I was expecting the guy to just build like, maybe straight rooms. But this guy built a house. I felt so bad. But you know, remember when the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Look at what happened. So I come back to America and I started thinking, I said, we sent this money, little money, and he built this house. I had a good job. 
you know, working in corporate America. But I knew that in America, <laughs> even if you earn a million dollars, the system takes it all back. It's difficult to save $10,000. Is that? <laughs> it's very difficult to save money in this society. So I said, it's going to take me several years again to be able to save this money to build another house. However, if I took risk and opened a business and my business does well, we will be able to build this house. Based on that, I quit my job and went to set up my business. And look at what happened. So I show up in Nigeria. I don't have a contract. And almost a year. So the first contract that I bidded on was a multi-million dollar contract. Remember, we don't give bribe to get work and all that. So. I went to like, uh, a company called, a subsidiary of NMPC called NPDC. So I went to register. I had submitted my bid several weeks ago. So I went to the office to register as a vendor in Lagos. They said, you cannot register here. It has to be done in Benin. However, we have our manager who came from Benin. Let's ask him. So, they talked to their manager. The manager said, I should come. When I went in to see the manager, the guy shouted, Jeffrey. I'm like, Ben. It was somebody I had known when we were in the university. I didn't know he had joined MPDC. Long story short, I gave him my uh, forms. And he said, when I get back to Benin, I will register you. Without realizing that it was an ordained meeting. In the evening, the bid I had submitted a guy called me and said, this bid that was submitted, are you registered with MPDC? I said, no, I'm not registered. He said, I am in charge of uh, opening this bid and we'll open it tomorrow morning by 8. He called me in the, in the evening. If you're not registered, we will trash your bid. It's impossible. There's no way I could be registered. But God already knew that and made me to meet this Ben in the morning. So I picked my, once that phone finished, I called Ben, I said, Ben, please, I just got a call from somebody in your organization. Can you help me? They said, I need to be registered before eight o'clock. Is there anything you can do? Ben said, don't worry. Do you know by about that eight o'clock or nine, I was registered. And I called this guy that had been registered. He said, why did you call that ogre? I'm not supposed to be talking to you. We are sequestered. I'm not supposed to call. I just called you out of uh, just trying to be nice. Meanwhile, I don't know who this guy is. I apologized. Fast forward. The guy now opens the bid. That was the first time I, I had been involved in a bid. He calls me some days later. I said, who prepared this bid for you? I said, I did. He said, ogre, you have failed. They have what you call technical bid to look at your te technical capabilities before they go to commercial. I said, I'm sorry, uh, what's wrong? He said, the, the formatting and all that is, is wrong. He said, but these equipments that you listed, do you have them? I said, yes, I do. He said, if you're sure you have them, we will pass you 
but will come to your office to see what you have. That's grace. So this guy, some months later, comes to my office, and I tell him, they saw my equipment, they saw more than I even listed. So I told him, I said, listen, do you know why I came back to Nigeria? I said, I have enough money to take care of my personal needs. However, I believe that God has placed me to be able to help the, the widow and the poor. This is what I was doing. I built this house in the village. In the process of doing it, I realized that, look, I can't continue to do it by myself. If I have a business, my business will be able to, to do it better than me. So this guy, he's not Christian. The guy is listening to me. The guy said, Sir, do you have any contract? Now I said, no, I don't. So I showed him the picture of the mud house, the picture of the new house the woman is living in. The guy said, and you don't have any contract? And I said, no. He said, sir, I will help you get this contract. Some other person came to this guy and promised him $200,000 to help him get his job. He rejected it. I didn't give him anything. He directed us, showed us how to format our things in the commercial, and we won the contract. So, let me go back. Now, today we have built more than 10 of those houses. More than that. And I have a company that is employing maybe 30 people, a lot of uh, uh, revenue. But it started with that we built one house for the widow. So, who has benefited more? The one house that we built for the widow at the start, or me, who has all these things now? So when the Bible says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is truly, truly so. Truly, truly so. I'm sorry I'm, I'm running out of uh, time here. So what are the wrong attitudes that we may have towards money? When money comes, when we begin to increase, one of the tendencies is to increase your comfort. So, now I have money, I can afford to buy a mansion, I buy it. That's not the way it works. You don't do it because you can. You, <laughs> I don't know if I should. Okay, let me say this. I... It's important, let me not say, that. it's important that we don't spend it because you can. Because you can buy a watch of 3,000, 20,000, that's how my mates are. You should not. If you're a Christian and the comfort you have is comparable to people who earn the same thing with you, you're not giving enough. If you're a Christian and the comfort you have is the same as the non-Christians who earn the same thing with you, it's an indication you're not giving enough. The Christian must be somebody who um, buys the things that he needs, not just because that's the expectation of the society. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have 
good things or live in nice houses, but be sure that that's what you should do. One of the wrong attitudes too is trusting in the security that the money brings. You know, you used to pray for things, but now you have money, so I can handle it. You know, you begin to rely on yourself more and more. It, it shouldn't be. You know, one of the things that the Bible says is the deceitfulness of riches. It's one of the things that will make the word of God not have effect or influence that it should have in your life. Where you think, I, I can handle it. So your prayer is less and all that. The other is the opposite, where lack of money can make you to be anxious. You know, where am I going to get money to feed myself, send my children to school, and you begin to be very anxious. Why? The Bible says the Christian should cast his cares upon the Lord because he knows the needs you have. He said, if the Lord takes care of the, uh, the widows, uh, if the Lord takes care of the sparrows, how much more yourself? Now, um, I'll talk quickly about how to improve your finances. How do you make your money to grow? How do you make your band, help your band to increase? One of the things you have to do is either to be an entrepreneur, if God is laying it in your heart, to go out and set up a business. We need a lot of businessmen. Go out, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Step out there in faith, recognizing that the things that you will get through that business is what will propel, what will be a tool to propel you to what God has called you to do, and God will show up. The other is in employment. If you're employed, work very hard. Don't just Walk at the level where you are. Walk at the next levels to show them that you can be promoted. The other is to make sure that um, no matter how much you earn, you must save money. You must save. The equation of wealth is income minus expense equals some storage, right? Some savings. Then you invest that storage well so that it can it can increase it can be working for you so whether you're working participate in iras 401ks make sure you contribute at least the minimum it's better to even contribute a little more because uh, the money that you don't have you don't spend so keep money away as much as you can. Pay a little more on your mortgage and those kind of habits will help you. So, spending habits do not have the lifestyle of a millionaire. They are millionaire lifestyle but they have empty pocket. It's known that people who earn a lot of income, especially um, physicians, petroleum engineers, athletes, they earn a lot of money. But then they don't accumulate a lot because of the expectation of from the society makes them spend all their money, even though they earn a lot. In fact, if you earn $70,000, you can be a millionaire if you have the right spending habit. 70. But you have to cut, you have to leave several notches below um, 
your income. But husbands and wives, if you're married, you all need to agree to live uh, a frugal life. Buy a used car. Instead of going to buy a brand new car. Not that buying a brand new car is anything, but today, if you buy a well-made car that is three years, the depreciation may be up to 30%. Let somebody else take it. And that savings, you pump it into your uh, savings account and invest it. Invest in the capital market. Use a professional person to guide you and get knowledge, study, so that you'll see which areas to, to invest uh, your money. If you don't have a house, please buy a house. It's known that your net worth, people who have homes, have 10 times the net worth of people who don't have homes. So, as soon as you can, buy a house. How do you know that you are doing well? How do you know that you're doing well? You, how do you look at your net worth? So, your net worth should be minimum of what you earned last year. So if you earned uh, uh, 50,000 last year, multiply by your age, divide by 10. That's the minimum net worth you should have. It's preferable that it's times two. So if I'm like, I'm going to be 60, so I use 60. So if I earn 100,000 last year, times 60, divide by 10, that's 600,000. That should be my minimum net worth, but it's preferable that it's times two. So I should be worth about $1.2 million. If I'm not, then I need to start working hard. On, on, the, on the equation of wealth, income, you can work on income. You maximize your income. If you're working, make sure that you are uh, skilled and getting promotions. If you're an entrepreneur, your business is growing, you can work on the savings, making sure that you don't have habits that you just uh, waste money. You also can work on the uh, investment. Working on the three at the same time gives you the best option of increasing your wealth. I'm sorry, I'm running out of time. So, when God has prospered you, it's important that you be somebody who is very, very generous. The, the group that we should focus our attention on are um, the widows, the orphans, the poor, the less privileged, the aliens. It says, let me read some few scriptures to, to, to highlight this. Um, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widow in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Uh, Matthew 25, 42 to 45, he says, For I was hunger, and you gave me no, no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in naked, and you clothed me not sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and thirst, and a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you didn't 
do to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. So these people went to hell, really, because they didn't use their resources to be generous towards this group. And the other gr group were recommended and went to heaven because they used their resources on this focus group. So let's be people of God. Let's be people who know why we should ask God to bless us. Let's be people who have found our purpose and use our money, use our talents, use all the experiences you've had in life to fulfill that purpose and you will live a fulfilled life. Thank you.